All right, Anderson, we have new information on the Gabby Petito investigation that people haven't heard yet. So welcome to primetime. All right. Now, uh, as you may have heard, new 911 audio has surfaced that may shed some light on this mystery. Assuming the FBI is right about the body they found, the need to find her fiance has become paramount. That, of course, is Brian Laundrie. The FBI closed in on Laundrie's home in Florida earlier after executing a court-authorized search warrant. They hauled out items fairly normal in this type of situation. Despite reports, the family was not interviewed. Now, that is a key distinction. I'll have more on that in a second. As to where things stand, Brian Laundrie has not been named a suspect in Gabby's disappearance. Now, I know this offends common sense to many of you, but remember, this is about criminality, okay? Not canceling someone. There is a burden of proof here. And as we're going to show you, the investigation will not be as simple as it may seem. And yet, the fiancé is obviously someone who has to know something about Gabby's last whereabouts, despite leaving her and returning alone from a summer-long road trip. So for now, he is a person of interest. Now, that designation doesn't allow police to limit someone's movements, which is why he was able to go wherever he wanted. Now, here's something else. There is a lot of hype surrounding the planned presser by the Laundry family attorney tomorrow. I'm telling you, do not expect a lot of new information. And that is not necessarily because the family doesn't know anything. They have been instructed to remain silent in the face of police questioning about Petito by their counsel. Why? We'll get into that in a second as well. But there is something that the family did offer, according to the attorney, that has been at least misreported. This stems from the shocking news that we all learned Friday night when I had Gabby's stepfather on the show. It was this news from the police in Northport, Florida, when Brian was last seen. The laundry family asked police to come to the home. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Why? They are now claiming that they have not seen their son uh, since Tuesday. What were the circumstances surrounding uh, their understanding of where he had gone and uh, why they had waited three days? Some of this we're still trying to figure out. You know, we've been trying all week to talk to his family, to talk to Brian. Certainly we would love for them to share with us what he shared with them. Now, I'm going to bring in an expert to discuss why an attorney would instruct the family not to speak to an attorney if they had nothing to hide, if they've done nothing wrong. But today, the Laundry family attorney told me the family did tell what he termed authorities last Tuesday night that their son had not come home. Who exactly? Hopefully that gets answered tomorrow. Now, tonight, the Northport police spokesman denied that it was them who was told. The family told us nothing Tuesday. We briefly talked with them last Saturday, and to my knowledge, not again until Friday. So who knew? Hopefully we get an answer to that. And it is really important because it may shift a little bit of the understanding about how this guy was able to be out of pocket for so many days. Another question in an intensifying investigation, to be sure. So the discovery of a body that the FBI believes to be Gabby may have been helped by a tip from YouTubers. There was a family that posts videos of their travels, and they captured what looks like Petito's van in the Spread Creek camping area in the early evening of August 27. 
They remembered it when they heard about Petito's van on the news this month and reported it to the FBI. Authorities searched the Spread Creek area. That is where they found the body on Sunday. Another key, uh, key piece of evidence, or at least a key piece of the puzzle, okay? Uh, and it may offer some insight into Gabby and Brian's relationship. Why is that important? Well, it's fundamentally important in understanding the circumstances that may have led not only to their separation, but her demise. The August 12 incident, when Petito and Laundry were confronted by police after engaging in some sort of altercation, according to authorities. We now have the bystander's call, a 911 call, that led to that stop. Here it is. We're driving by, and I'd like to report a domestic dispute in Florida with a white van, Florida license plate, white land, gentleman, five, six beard. They just drove off. They're going down Main Street. They made a, uh, a right onto Main Street from Moonflower. And what were they doing? Uh, we drove by, and the gentleman was slapping the girl. He was slapping her? Yes, and then we stopped. They ran up and down the sidewalk. He proceeded to hit her, hopped in the car, and they drove off. Now, if believed, that's called an assault, also known as a crime. The caller said Laundry slapped Petito. But the police report said it was Petito who slapped Laundry. Now, did the witness get it wrong? Or is this the way it was reported to the police? And if so, could there be an explanation for why you would hear a lie from Gabby Petito about her own assault? The answer to that is yes. Very often in domestic situations, women will deny what happened. Women will say they did it. Why? Because they're afraid. That's why. Is that what happened here? We don't know yet. Now, investigators obtained a search warrant for an external hard drive found in the van that could also shed more light. Did someone kill Petito? If so, how would prosecutors prove it? Now, you say, what do you mean? Of course they did. They just found who they believe is her body. We don't know why she died yet. There is going to be a process here. The investigation is not going to be as simple. I promise you that. Let's Get confirmation on that from a better mind. CNN legal analyst and criminal defense attorney, Joey Jackson. You know what? It's been a minute. It's good to see you, brother. I hope all is well. Thank you for helping me. Now, first, you heard what uh, I was reporting that the attorney is saying. Uh, The two big things uh, that stick out is they told authorities Tuesday night. Who? I'll tell you tomorrow. So that's a reason to watch the press conference. That and I told them, do not talk to the police. People are going to hear that and say, whoa, something shady. What's your take? Well, my take is this. So understand that there's two imperatives. There's the public relations imperative. Everybody wants to to hear, Chris, you to go out in front of the cameras. I miss her so much. Bring her home. I don't know what occurred. Wrong move from a defense perspective. Why? Because what you want to do is you want to exercise the right we all have and many don't use, which is to remain silent. In the event you say nothing, no one can ever say that you're inconsistent with respects to facts that you gave. It's because you're shady and you must know something. Otherwise, you'd talk because you'd have nothing to hide. The public can believe what the public believes. What I know and what I will tell a client is that there's a courtroom. That's the forum by which we determine whether someone's guilty. What the public perception is is often different from the facts as they come out in the courtroom. And here's the case in point. You indicated, right, that the family says, well, we did notify the police on Tuesday. What's been reported? That they delayed it until Friday. Who's right? Who's wrong? That's what forms a court of force. You tell your client and the family, of course, they want their measure of justice, Chris. I get it. There's a wonderful uh, woman who's not here who had a life to live, and they want answers. However, 
That's, again, in the realm of public perception. I want to operate as an attorney in the realm of a court. You tell your client, do not say a word. And that is exactly what he did. Mr. Laundry, the fiance, has not spoken. Even if he did nothing wrong. Even if you do nothing wrong. What, what good shall come? In the event you, you say something. You find out who may have hurt your fiance. Exactly. And I think the public wants that. Everyone wants that. But when you're the accused and you're going to be in a courtroom and there are going to be eyes on you and accusations thrown at you, I always know, Chris, what I said. I don't know what Chris Cuomo heard. And so words can be misinterpreted. Words can be twisted. When you remain silent, it does not allow an opportunity for that. And that's why we all, all of us lawyers say, keep your mouth shut. I get the answer. You certainly would get an A on the written exam of how to practice as a defense practitioner. However, have you ever had a case where somebody's loved one went missing and they would not participate in the search? So it's not a matter of missing. Understand this. I've had cases where people are dead at the hands of arguably my client, whether it was that they were missing, whether it was a result of a sexual assault, whether it was a result of any particular facts, the end result remains the same. Everybody wants their measure of justice. And in a courtroom is where we find it, right? We can't find it here. Although we search, we look, et cetera, we find it there. Because it's, these cases turn on many nuances, which the public never gets to know. You know, I spoke to several different investigators, federal and state side experience. And they said, you know, this is not so easy. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, they have a universe of one that they're looking at. He said, it's not going to be that easy. Why? So why didn't they bring him in right away when she was missing? There was no proof of a crime, right? We just point, knew that correct. she was gone. Right. So now you have a body. Ah, you have a crime. Not necessarily. They have to determine why, if that's Gabby, why she died, right? Before they can say it's a crime. A homicide meaning death by a person. Not necessarily. So understand this. It's important for everybody to know this. Chris, when the police arrest you, it's not because we know you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not because we know you're guilty with absolute certainty. It's because of two things. There's reason to believe that a crime was committed, number one, and that the accused committed it, number two. We call that probable cause. People talk about that every day, and it's known to everyone out there sitting on the couch. And as a result of that, all you need is what we call prima facie, right? Not to get Latin on you, but the prima facie case. So you don't need all the proof. You just need that small scintilla of proof, which establishes something's amiss. I think you're responsible. Sir, you're coming with me. So you don't need an eyewitness. You don't need forensics. Do not. You can just do it on circumstantial. Correct. So understand, this is another common misunderstanding. Circumstantial evidence is evidence. If I came in here, right, to have the pleasure of your company, right, during the show, and when I came in here, it was completely dry outside. I go back outside and it's wet everywhere, but it's not raining. What could we reasonably conclude? We can conclude that it rained while I was talking to Chris. That's the bottom line. What can we conclude about this? We know that it occurred, don't know, but it stands to reason in an area where not a lot of eyes were, right? She's found in a park. Okay, the result of that national park, she's there, shrubbery, everything else. It's the difference from the city where there's surveillance all over the place. People could see interactions. Again, circumstantial. You left with me. That was back in June. We went on a trip. We cataloged every day on Instagram where we were, who we were, what we were with, what we were doing. You did it repeatedly. And then the trail went cold. One person's dead. You're home. And then you go on the run. Circumstantial evidence, not direct eyewitness, but there's reason to believe, you know what, to fulfill the analogy, it was raining outside when I was talking to Chris. That's circumstantial evidence, which is powerful. So they didn't arrest when she went missing. Now they have a body. They don't know where he is. 
Um, But they could arrest. The question is, could they keep him and make a case? We'll see. That goes to the evidence. Ordinarily here, someone says it wasn't me, I had nothing to do with it. They find that person's DNA or other forensic material. They say, ah, now what? That's not the case here because, of course, he was with her. So it gets a little bit more challenging. So far, the worst fact for Brian, other than the existence of the relationship, laundry, is that car being seen in the same location where the body was found. He returned in that car to his home. That takes us to the timeline. What stands out to you in the timeline, Joey? Listen, there's a number of things that stand out. All of it is bad. When you look at the timeline, August 12th, police in Utah make the stop. Uh, Petito talks. uh, Oh, hold on. Should they have arrested him? If they had a 911 call that said, I saw him smack her, maybe twice, according to what I hear on that tape. Uh, and then they see, uh, they find them, they stop them. Uh, both say that they had an altercation. She says, I hit him, but they had a 911 caller yeah. who said the opposite. Could they have arrested? So look, the answer to the question of could they have is absolutely. You and I both know that police have a tremendous amount of discretion. You're coming with me, you're not. I'm going to give you a break, stay at a hotel, you guys separate. That's what they opted to do. But listen, I go up against the police all the time, professionals out there doing their job. And what I will say to you, if someone is motivated to kill for whatever reason, right? We get into an argument, someone has that gene to get you, whether the police arrested her or not, cannot blame the police. It's his alleged actions that led to her death, not that the Utah police did not arrest him on that particular day. Fair point. So what stands out to you here? Look, there's a couple of things. We know about the text messages. We know about the video. We know about the last text and everything else. I'm going to tell you what stands out to me. What stands out to me are a couple of things. Number one, you're with me. We catalog every step of this trip, Chris, every step, all of these things. And then all of a sudden it goes cold. And guess what? Guess what? You're home with your family in Florida. You don't say anything with respect to where your fiance is. And now you're on the run. Why is that important to me? Because it goes to consciousness of guilt. In the event you did nothing, what are you running away from? And therefore, given the nature of the relationship, given the closest of relationship, given the Utah interaction could have been isolated, right? Or it could have been happening all the time. If you did nothing wrong, why are you in the wind? And the defense is going to have to explain that should they find him. The family has made no, Chris. Is he in hiding or is he missing? There's a big distinction. So, well, if the family's in hi- if he's in hiding and the family had something to do with it, now they have exposure also. But can you arrest because the person who was last known to be with the decedent, the dead person, uh, ran? So... Or is seen to have run. So here's what it is, Chris. It's not your arresting predicated upon that. It's sort of like a number of facts that build up. Those are what, that's the circumstantial evidence that's going to be powerful in this case. We would like every case where there's four eyewitnesses to say, it was Chris Cuomo. I saw him. I knew what he was wearing, the tie, the No, you don't have that. So police have to do their work in order to build the case. And you tell me, anyone listening out there, you're traveling with me cross country. All of a sudden, right, you come home to your family. I'm missing. Someone's found dead. You're gone. What does that look like? So does it get you to guilt? To your point, it doesn't get you to proof of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. But does it get you to my point? Reason to believe that a crime was committed probable and cause. you did it. Probable so there cause. are probable cause. The next big hurdle is going to be, are there areas for reasonable doubt? We are nowhere near that point in the investigation. But that will be the huge hurdle for prosecutors in making the case. And if it winds up being that Brian Laundrie is the defendant here, this is what his whole lawyer situation will be about. Joey will be back for that. Thank you very much. Always. Appreciate you. Always. 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 Thank Always. You. A credit to the audience. All right. Now. 
We're going to be following this. We're also going to follow the story that is on top of all of us. All right. This is the COVID command center. And our kids are obviously our biggest concern. And we have new information. A major vaccine announcement from Pfizer today with more children hospitalized than ever before. We're up 240 percent in kid cases since July. Now, of course, they're back in school. But how are they doing in school? Could shots start for our kids? Could it be by Halloween? Let's bring them a former Biden COVID advisor to figure out what we know, what we need to know, and his concerns. Next. The promise of vaccinating younger kids against COVID growing tonight. Pfizer said it will soon ask the FDA to authorize its vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11. The company says clinical trial data, the first of its kind to be released on kids, showed that a low dosage of Pfizer's vaccine is safe and effective. Remember, kids that age will not get what teens and adults get. That's going to be a key distinction in the following conversation. If the timeline holds, the hope is that kids could be vaccinated as early as Halloween. So the good news is we're not too far off from that date. But the unfortunate reality is cases among kids are still going up. And by up, I mean over 240 percent since July. Now, that's over the past few weeks. You're going to see more and more kids getting hospitalized. Why? Well, because they're back in school and the Delta spreads more quickly among children. It was different earlier on. So this is more hospitalizations than at any other time during this pandemic. They're all in school, and Delta is tougher on them than the earlier iterations, okay? So a shot down the line won't help the surge that we're in right now. What do we do? For more on this, I want to bring in Dr. Zeke Emanuel. It's good to see you, Zeke. I hope the family as well. Thank you. Um, Now, getting me to take a vaccine, not easy. Getting me to give one to my kids, really not easy. So people are going to hear this data. They're going to say, yeah, but it's not peer reviewed. uh, And they've never given anything like this to kids before. And, you know, this is this is new for them. I know there are hundreds of millions of people who got the vaccine as adults, but not kids. Should they be concerned, parents? Well, look, we've tested the vaccine on 2,300 or so children, five to 11 years old. They got, as you point out, one third the dose that's being given to adults. At higher doses, they had more fever and uh, transitory side effects. Uh, But this seemed to produce a very good antibody response with very few side effects. Uh, They should definitely go with it because, uh, as you point out, Uh, We've had 225,000 kids uh, with uh, COVID in the last week. In August, we had 30,000 kids hospitalized because of COVID. It's a serious issue among children, and the best way to protect them is with this vaccine. There is parental hesitancy. Yeah, let's talk about that. that Let's talk about the parental hesitancy. Um, This is from a Kaiser Foundation um, poll, Um, the Kaiser Family Foundation. When are you going to get your kids vaccinated? Please put up the poll. Uh, Right away, only a quarter, 26%. Wait and see, 40%. Only if required, definitely not. Nine, 25%. Not good numbers. Actually, not as good as we saw even early on with the vaccine during Trumpdom. What does this mean to you? Well, that is going to be hard to get 
these children vaccinated just as hard as adults uh, to get them vaccinated unless we have mandates. Um, the fact is, if 40% of adults are not gonna get their kids vaccinated or gonna take a wait and see attitude, uh, that's gonna be trouble. That means you won't get the vaccine out. Uh, out of 28 million kids between five and 11 who could get the vaccine, 10 million don't get the vaccine. Uh, we're not really gonna be protecting our schools and protecting the larger community by vaccinating children. Again, we seem to be hitting this somewhere between 40% and 60% of the population willing to get a vaccine, but moving beyond that seems very, very difficult. Uh, and I think the Biden administration is going to end up having to uh, try to persuade people through mandates. Uh, they've done education, they've made it free. Uh, they've just done about everything they can short of a broader mandate. The good news is that states like Mississippi for all other vaccines have very high coverage uh, and let's hope that they see the light to protect children. Bad news is you got states like Alabama where you're losing more lives and you are gaining new lives largely because of the pandemic. This thing is literally killing us. And we've seen that a majority can get vaccinated and the minority can keep you in a pandemic. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, thank you for the insight as always. Thank you, Chris. All right, look, the big lie, it's part of why the pandemic is killing us, okay? There is poison politics. Everything is false. Don't believe it. Don't listen. Don't do. Now, it is not a coincidence that this is being promoted by people who are not in power, okay? Trump, namely, is still trying to get the election overturned. It's been a year. We have new details tonight about an attempt by a lawyer tied to Trump to get the vice president to help back in the day a six-step plan to overthrow democracy. I will reveal it to you next. Tonight, a newly revealed memo from one of former President Trump's lawyers adds to the pile of damning evidence showing just how far Trump and co. went to push the big lie. Now, you re may remember this guy, John Eastman. Areas speaking at Trump's rally on January 6th. According to the new book, Peril, by Washington Post journalists, we now know that two days before that, Eastman handed then-VP Pence a two-page memo that detailed how Pence could overturn the election through a six-step scheme. It essentially called for Pence to throw out electors from seven states so that Trump's remaining electoral votes would outweigh Biden's, allowing the GOP majority in the House to reelect Trump. Olivia Troy is a former Pence advisor. It's good to have you here. Um, the idea that he would accept this memo put with him calling Dan Quayle to say, is there any way around this? Is there any way around this? What's your feeling about all that? Well, first of all, the fact that this document exists is outrageous. I mean, this is so disturbing on so many different levels uh, and on, on full display, just how close we came to a moment where there would have been the impeding of the transition of power and the full undermining of our democratic process um, by this group of individuals. And so, you know, I have no doubt that I'm sure Mike Pence in reading this document starts to make these phone calls. Now we have more context on 
why perhaps he had the conversation with Dan Quayle. And I, you know, I, I wonder if he went through the document and discussed it with him. But I also wonder, Chris, how many other people knew about this document? It looks like Senator Lee did, Lindsey Graham did apparently. How many other elected officials knew that this plan existed? Because this is the Republican playbook firsthand. And my concern reading this document is that to me, I'm concerned about this being the Republican playbook for future elections. Here they've laid it out in terms of the way they've been behaving, in terms of the big lie and the fact that this continues, this legacy lives on. The Mike Pence that you knew and served, the idea that he would entertain this plan, and we should put the plan up for people, put this full screen up uh, of this, open and count the ballots, throw out the electoral college votes of seven states by alleging they have competing electors. Uh, Now that is a very arcane thing Uh, by the way, but we know why that's in there. Declare Trump the winner with 232 votes to 222. In the face of howls from Democrats, destroying democracy will do that. Send matter to the House. Demand normal rules so GOP majority can reelect Trump. Do this without asking permission from Congress or court. The Pence that you knew, can you imagine him reading something like this, not telling people openly that it was given to him? Uh, and then making a call like that to Dan Quayle, looking for counsel of how to get away from his constitutional duty? No, I can't, uh, to be honest. I think it just goes to show uh, you know, what people are capable of when um, they're in a position of power. And you know, I don't know what was going through Mike Pence's head at the time, um, but look, the fact that he still hasn't come forward, that he hasn't actually address the fact that, oh, by the way, this document existed and the big lie and the election integrity lies still live on and that he hasn't acknowledged that. Knowing everything that he knows that happened is just appalling. And I think it should be disqualifying, honestly, you know, if when he you th- does plan to pursue 2024. When you think about why would he not have blown the whistle? You talk about how you do your constitutional duty. Um, but then you look at this poll, Republicans and the big lie. CNN SSRS poll, 78% don't believe Biden legitimately won the election. And could that be the reason why you don't say anything about this memo? You even try to help after the former president sends people to hang you at the Capitol. It's about retaining power. Uh, That's what it is for all of these individuals, unfortunately. And it's at the expense of our democracy, because that is what's happening here. And it's also at the expense at the security of our country, because it is creating divisions and it's creating, uh, you know, constant threats on the homeland, honestly, from that perspective, in terms of what we're seeing here, because people believe that this election was stolen still today. And this is how we are going to continue to move forward as a country right now. This is what we're facing. It's a threat. Not An only, ongoing threat. Not only do better than three out of four of the people Trump, uh, Pen- Trump or Pence would want to vote for them, but over half of them to believe there's solid proof and there is none. Olivia Troy, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. Next story we have to get into is hard uh, and it demands more answers. Images that are causing controversy about how Haitian migrants were trying to cross the border from Mexico into Texas are being treated. It really looks like a throwback to a kind of barbarism that we have to be better than. 
Even the White House is calling these pictures horrific. The truth behind the pictures and why it's more than it looks like at the first glance. Next. We really are in the throes in this country of figuring out who we are and what we're about. And I was taken aback uh, by a single image that should make you pay attention to a problem. This one. There's a lot here. Yeah, as an image, to me it does smack of a bygone era of slavery. Aided by reports of people being beaten, whether with a riding crop or the reins, most likely. You may be drawn to the desperation of the man trying to escape. Others, in the desperation of keeping our borders safe, of what I believe the former president tried to depict as a brown menace at our border. None of this, none of it, is new, and it is not isolated. Some 12,000 souls are living in makeshift camps under the Del Rio Bridge in Texas. They aren't hiding. They're looking for asylum in this country. Each one of them, a puzzle that this administration, like those of both parties for decades, does not have any good answers for. I have seen some of the footage. I don't have the full context. I can't imagine what context would make that appropriate, but I don't have additional details. Uh, and certainly, I don't have additional context. April, I don't think anyone seeing that footage uh, would think it was acceptable or appropriate. Well, somebody did, right? Because that's how they decided to deal with the situation. So the question becomes, get to the bottom of it. Find out who said it was okay. Why was it okay? Tell us. The statement from DHS says they don't, quote, tolerate the abuse of migrants in our custody, and we take these allegations very seriously. That's called a stock statement. What else are they going to say? They also say they're investigating and will have people on scene to make sure their rules are being followed. What are the rules? But this is more than just a picture. It's a reality. People crossing, clinging to food. That's what they're holding over their heads. It's food not bags of drugs. The agents trying to turn them around and send them back across the border. Look, that is their job. But it's what is being done to allow this country to process the need. We can't do better than horseback. You see the video, but you need to see the confluence. All right? Everything going on at once, all captured in this one image. Okay? See the horse. Their use is common and necessary along this part of the border. The horse is there because a wall was never going to be enough. Sounded simple because it was simplistic. We were never a wall away. We've spent billions on technology, drones, helicopters, sensors, blimps, cameras, even, yes, fencing. But given the terrain, the work of patrolling often has to be done on horseback. Look at the agent's face. What do you see? Frustration, anger. They've been put in a bad position. They are overwhelmed. The system is overwhelmed. I've been to the border many times. I've sat overnight in Ajo, Arizona, means garlic, watching people come overnight, trying to figure out what is drugs, what's migrants, how do you coordinate? These guys patrol tens and tens of miles alone. 
no backup. And then if they do catch people doing the wrong thing illegally, you don't have the agents, you don't have the courts, you don't have the resources, you don't have the judges, you don't have the places to put them, you don't have the support for their health, you don't have the caseworkers, you don't have any of the things that you need, nor do you have the laws. What is asylum? Who can decide it? What are the circumstances? Where should it be done? Nobody wants to do the hard work. They just want to pander to, don't you care about these people? Look how they're being treated. And the other side says, do you really want these people coming to take your jobs and kill your women? And we're stuck there. And we're stuck there. Because nobody wants to make a change. Nobody wants to die on this hill. Nobody wants to do anything small, an incremental measure. Just change those laws. Just change the support staff. They want it to be big, impressive. So we're nowhere. And that picture tells us that could have been taken 100 years ago. And here we are today. And we're not going to get anywhere better until you demand it. We'll be right back after this. Next month, families and friends far and wide are going to travel to Washington, D.C. to honor our fallen law enforcement officers whose names were engraved onto the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Wall. Of the 394 officers who died in the line of duty and whose names were added to that wall, 182 of them died COVID-related deaths. One of those officers who lost his life to the deadly virus is Charles Rob Roberts. You remember his name? We spoke to his family last year in the aftermath of his death. His son, Gavin, decided to do something just so interesting and brave to honor his dad for his 12th birthday. He said he wanted to get vaccinated. Gavin and his mom, Alice, join us now. Happy birthday, little man. I know that this was hard, um, but boy, oh boy, your mom must be so proud. And as a dad myself, to know that you want to do something that you think is important in your dad's memory, it gets a lot of respect, young man. A lot of respect. Why'd you do it? I did it to just like help our community and other communities to just get out there and help fight the virus. How'd it feel? I feel pretty good about myself. My arm doesn't hurt too bad, and I don't feel that bad. I don't have a headache, sore throat, or anything. Good for you. Mom, what did it mean to you? when you heard your boy say that that's what he wanted? I was saying before, there wasn't really ever a time when we didn't think that would be what he would do for his 12th birthday. Uh, It just is a a pretty big sense of relief. It's not that we'll do anything really different, but it's a sense of relief um, because he's the final person in our family who um, needs to get vaccinated. So it was a sense of relief and just um, it's the right thing to do. So there was never a question that that's what he would be doing. How are you doing? I see the picture of your husband behind you. I see the flag. How are you holding up? How's the family coping? I mean, we move forward every day. Um, you just take it a day at a time. I'm back at work teaching. It's nice to be around the kids again. It's nice that they're really appreciative of being in school. And um, I think they 
they feel differently about learning now when it was taken away from them. Um, you know, you kind of don't realize that you miss it until you miss it. So it's good to be back, um, but the days are full. Lots of uh, laundry, lunch making, running to sports, but it's, it's good. The days go by fast. What does it mean to you to take the family to see the wall next month? Well, it's funny. Um, my husband and I had visited the wall. Either we were just married or right before we had been married. And it was so special to him. And I, you know, went along and I thought it was cool, but I never thought that his name would be on it. And I, I don't think he thought that either. But, um, you know, we never had a burial. So this is part of closure for us. Um, it'll be nice to see his name. Um, I think the vigil will be very nice. Um, it'll just be one step towards, I guess, closure, but I don't know if that's the right word. You know, the last time we talked, your words were so poignant that so many were moved. Who knows how many people you may have changed in terms of their ideas of how serious this is. But there was one person who probably surprised you when they called you to talk about it. That's for sure. So right after, um, I guess when we were in the interview last time, um, Mr. Biden had left me a message and I had called him back um, and he answered, which shocked me. And he had invited us to the White House and said, you know, when I become president, I want you to be our guests. Um, so we're hoping that can happen. I know now he's a little bit busy, um, but we do hope at some point during his hopefully eight years in there, um, that we'll get to visit because my kids definitely remember that promise. Um, Governor Phil Murphy called me today when I was teaching. So he left a really kind message as well. So I, I really appreciate the empathy shown in these political leaders. And um, it's really touching to me and extremely meaningful. Well, the White House watches the show and I'm sure they're seeing this right now. And I would bet that I'm going to get a message and you probably will too. And when you're down there, I hope you get to have a special uh, tour and a special day. You know, Gavin, I was going to tell you this in the break, but you know what? I'm going to tell you now. Uh, hopefully my kids will hear it as well. All any parent wants is for their kids to believe that life is about making a difference and helping those around you. And when you decided to get the vaccine, you didn't just help yourself. You're sending a message about what matters to you about helping other people. Your father committed his whole life to helping other people in one of the most dangerous ways. And that is amazing that you did that. If people do it at 52, it's amazing, let alone at 12. So happy birthday and God bless you. And thank you for giving a gift to everybody else by showing that you know what's the right thing to do. Alice, God bless you. Good luck to you and the whole family. Thank you. Thanks for having us on too. Thank right. you. Let's see who gets a call first, shall we? <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be in touch. We're gonna take a quick break. So Alice can talk to the White House and we'll do the handoff. I have news for you. The laundry family attorney just reached out and says on the record that pursuant to a conversation with the FBI, there will be no press conference tomorrow. Why? I guess it'll be up to the FBI to tell us what comes next. Thank you for watching. Don Lemon Tonight starts, I'm sure, coverage of Gabby Petito. Yes, indeed. And that investigation will be part of his show, and that yep. is the latest piece, brother. Yeah, you got the, uh, the breaking news there. Things can always change, but you got, I mean, that's it. Um, 
this story. I mean, we talked about it a little bit today. Chris and I taped our podcast today. We talked about it a little bit today, but this, it is, for me, you're the attorney. It seems unusual that someone who was possibly the last person to see Gabby, definitely before she disappeared and possibly or probably before she perished, is somehow allowed to go scot-free, roam scot-free, and get away with it. Not Look, not a suspect, I get that. But just not even talk to police, through an attorney, nobody watch to see his whereabouts, and all of a sudden he's gone, no one knows where he is. That just seems odd to me, and it seems like, and this isn't, look, it's not about race, but it's about something that people not of privilege, it doesn't seem like they have the opportunity to do that. I mean, you know, I, you know, I figured if most people would be hauled in and say, you got to talk, you got to do whatever. You said it's about whoever has an attorney. If you have an attorney, fine. If you don't, then, you know. Well, look, an attorney is an officer of the court and everybody hates attorneys till they need one. And the system and the law makes very clear you can't be made to talk to the police. And they may tell you that, but that's what Miranda warnings are all about. Right. And that's under arrest. Look, here are the realities, and some of them are frustrating. Yeah, right? but hold on. Before you go into that. Yeah. But most people don't know that, Chris. You get hauled in, a police come, they think that you got to talk. You think, that, you think that you have to talk to the police. And so it just seems, I think for me it's a learning experience, because I thought they would have said, look, you got to come in here and sit down and talk with your attorney present. And maybe then, but <laughs> they would not, never say that. Not to even go in <laughs> would, and talk. No I mean, police. Come on. Look, the and police you, are the, the police are almost always the good guys. All right, and they are certainly in this situation. Um, but look, here are the realities. Okay, um, is this unusual? Absolutely. I have never covered a case like it where somebody has a loved one, even if they're fighting, even if the, the you know the fian, you know the engagement was off, whatever. This is someone who matters to you, and you have no part in looking for them. Never seen it before. I've seen people who were guilty take, uh, you know, take a role in looking for someone who they knew exactly where they were, but never this way. Yeah. The family was instructed by their attorney not to speak. Why? Because while that will seem suspicious, okay, the standard here is different. We're used to cancel culture, where if something feels wrong, you can crowdsource a consequence. No, but this is before that. No, it's not. But this, this is not is a, cancel but, culture. This, this is not. No, no, no. I'm saying there's nothing but, cancel culture about it. I'm saying yeah, but, it sounds like there's something wrong. We don't like the family. No. They have a lawyer who has said to them, the police are trying to make a case. If they talk to you, they can use whatever you say against you yeah. and against Brian, even if you didn't mean it that way. Don't do it. Most yeah. defense attorneys would give that advice. Yes. I don't disagree with that. But to, to have to be able to have an attorney and do that, and you ask any you ask any person of color, you ask a black man who's if they have that sort of privilege. Ask a poor it's white not person. A privilege. No, it's hold a on. right. I know okay. that. I know, but most people don't know that, and they're not treated that way by law enforcement. Even if you think that you know cops are the good guys, yeah, many times they are, but many times they aren't, especially when it comes to people of color and poor people in the society who don't have the means to be able to stand behind a lawyer and not and not go to speak. Do you think like someone who, you know, a Don Lemon, if I wasn't who I am, they'd be like they'd be like, hey, get your butt in here. What do you know about the disappearance of such and such? Why won't you talk? Oh, do you need a lawyer because you're guilty? All of that would go down. 
Yeah, they I do mean, that to black people, white people. They yes, do that to a lot of people. I, that's what I said. This is about black people and poor people, meaning because all people are poor. They're all, I mean, not all people, but there are people of all different ethnicities who are poor. And they don't have the privilege of being able to afford an attorney who will tell them that they can't go in. What did you say to me today? Using you, until you're arrested, that's when you are assigned an attorney for free. If you Otherwise, will. before then, you've got to shell out some dough. Oh, you have to show some dough, but do it that. doesn't. You don't need a lawyer; you just need to know your rights. And yeah. obviously, you can't be compelled. And not, not to get a, too far away from the fact pattern here, because the real problem here is that prosecutors are going to have to make a case. Now, what you said initially, Brian Laundry taking off—that um, is going to be consciousness of guilt to yeah. police, and it will be a huge portion of probable cause for them. You were the last person with her. You come back without her. You won't talk to us. And then you run because that's all they know. And the family has told them no different because the family says they don't know where he is. If they find Brian Laundrie, that could well be enough to arrest him. If they find him Alive. alive. You're not going to arrest a dead person. Yeah, that's but, what I meant. If they find him um, alive, because we, we know the, the possibility. But he may have sealed the ability to arrest him by what he has done. Got it. Okay, so let me just say this, because, you know, we're back in the city. Things are starting to reopen. I go around with my mask when I'm sitting down. I took a picture tonight. I was sitting down at a table, and we're going to talk about that London breeze or whatever. I'm actually sitting down at a table. People came over to say hello to me, and I take a picture with them. But here's the thing. So I'm out and about in New York City, finally, after almost two years, and people are talking to me, right? And, And I'm hearing about, you know, thank you and Chris. You got me through the pandemic, which I appreciate. But people also talk to me about other news stories tonight, and you know this, mostly white folks came up to me and said, man, you guys sure are paying a lot of attention to this, because if it was some other young lady, I don't think you'd be paying this much attention to this, to this. And I just sit there and I just listen to them. I don't know what the answer. Look, I'm not saying I don't give them an answer because I want to hear what they have to say about it. And you've heard that as well, haven't you? Uh, I have uh, not from so many white people, but I, I have heard uh, online mostly. I know you tell me not to go there, but I, I can't help it. My job is to engage. To what? Oh, you, um, yeah, online. I don't do that. I don't And engage. they say, uh, you're only covering this because uh, she's, she's a white, cute white and girl, attractive. Yeah. And what about all the minorities who go missing? Listen, uh, to me, uh, it matters that Gabby Petito is missing. It matters to her family. It matters, uh, first of all, just as a, a matter of, of law. And it matters to anyone who's a parent or is that age. I mean, it just speaks to such a huge fear that we all have of vulnerability. It should not be an or proposition. It should be an and proposition. Mm -hmm. You cover Gabby Petito and you should cover any other story that presents itself this way. But remember, it's not just about her. It's about kids going out at that age and doing something that is so popular now mm-hmm. and putting themselves on social media and trying to build a brand and being away from home. And then it becomes mysterious. It's also a mysterious story that is intriguing and people uh, want to hear about it and people are interested in it. I agree with you with all of that. And don't look. I know that's why you go on social media. I don't like to do it. But Don Lemon has turned this into a racial thing. No. I'm telling you, Chris and I talk about the real, real stuff that people do. People are talking to me about this as it relates to race. 
They've spoken to Chris about it. You see it online. Don't pretend that I'm turning this into something that it's not. This is what people are talking about, and this is what Chris and I are talking about, it. and that's why we get it straight, and it's real here, and you're going to hear the real deal from these two guys. That's why they call it the handoff, because there's nothing better like it on television nor on a podcast. Okay? There you go. I love you. I'll see if you, you say so yourself. <laughs> I love <laughs> I you, D-Lovin. So. Make you your witness. More. Yeah, I am right now. We're going to talk about all of this and more, including the breaking news that Chris just gave us. This- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.